I'm not even going to do any announcements tonight. I just want to go right into the message because there's been some amazing things happening. Some of you have heard about it. Some of you haven't. Um, but God has really been working since about, well, probably, well, long before we have any idea. Amen. But uh, we, we got in here. We usually practice and get ready around 4. And I think it was around 4.30 or so. We were getting toward the end of worship, of worship and and around 4.15 or so, we have people that come in for intercession. And uh, is the person I'm talking about in here? she on the way back? Okay. I know. I, I know. She's just all over the place. <laughs> so uh, in that time, we were just on stage getting ready for tonight. And all of a sudden, Colleen who has been sitting in this chair for 20 years, stood up for the first time. And she's been standing up worshiping ever since. Completely healed tonight. And uh, that's why Peter says, I can't keep track of her now. She's walking everywhere. And then if that wasn't enough, we just decided, hey, let's, let's not stop worshiping. Let's just keep it going. And then all of a sudden, Randy... Randy, put your hand, put, yeah, that one up. He, 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 said, he said up until today he couldn't get that arm passed here and he was scheduled for an MRI, and now do it again. Just crazy, crazy stuff happening. And the, cra the other funny thing is everything tonight technically has gone totally wrong. The light, the lighting scene ain't right right now. The video sounded horrible. But who cares about any of that? Wow. God is just doing amazing stuff. And it's, it's really cool because um, I was wondering why God gave me um, this message tonight. And, you know, surprise, surprise, it's not your normal resurrection weekend message. But I understand now why he, oh, look at that. The light just came into the room. Um, I know why he gave it to me now. So tonight's message is called this, Heaven is Here. Heaven is Here. And what God has shown me in this message that I'm bringing tonight, I'm talking about the gates of heaven opening into the earth. And I'm going to try my best to define what that is and what it looks like. I believe, I really believe with what's going on, there, there's a shift in this house as of right now. And we've got to understand this to go where God's taken us. Heaven is here. A lot of us have the mindset that we're getting to heaven. But I want to show you something a little different. We're going to heaven one day. But heaven's also right here in our midst. And I'm excited to share this. So Lord, I just thank you for everything you're doing in this house. I thank you for the healings, and I thank you for the ones to come. I thank you, Lord, that anyone who may not know you, I, I just speak right now, anyone under the sound of my voice, let me say that differently, God. Anyone under the sound of your voice tonight will come to know you, God. We don't, we don't want to hear my words, my thoughts, or my opinions. We just want to hear your truth. We love you, Jesus. Seeing and we pray, everybody said, amen. Amen. When we were... We were worshiping it all earlier, and when someone 
talked about the wheelchair. They talked about Oral Roberts used to have piles and piles of wheelchairs and crutches. And we just prophetic, prophetically said that this would be the first of many. Amen. Um, and um, I just love that, uh, I mean, she, she's never going to use, I mean, she won't have good parking anymore, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know if that's a good joke or a bad joke, but, but I don't care. If it, you know, it is what it is. Um, heaven is here. Jesus is king. He's risen from the grave. Amen? A perfect sacrifice was needed to pay for our sins because all sinners have to be judged. And the penalty for sin is what? Death. It's death. But the truth is, there's redemption for us. I want to start off by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Did y'all hear that? Let's try that again. Christ has been raised from the dead. <laughs> there we go. He's the first of the great harvest of all who have died. So you see... Just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, and then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Death came through Adam. There's an interesting thing about Adam. Adam is the only one created where God reached down his hand in the earth and formed flesh. He didn't reach down into the earth to form Eve. He took Eve out of Adam. The only time God ever reached into the earth to create man was Adam. And therefore, that is why we are all in Adam. We all came out of that creation. We're all made in the one that came from the ground. So the father says, y'all see who's walking in? I just want to point that out. <laughs> so the father says, since you're all found in Adam, because you all came from Adam, in order for me to redeem the dead man, I've got to send a second Adam that all can be found in. And I will let him be raised first so that anyone found in this second Adam will also be raised. And that second Adam, his name is what? Jesus. Now, we're told that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Right hand being the place of honor, seated in heavenly places. The man, the flesh, the word that became flesh, Jesus, is we're told he is now seated at the place of honor in heaven. And I ask myself, how did that happen? Because we read about it, but I, I don't know about you, but I want to know what the scripture says about the why. Like what happened in those three days where a, a, a fleshly man came up from death, hell, and the grave and was seated at the right hand of God? Well, we find that answer in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. 
It says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. The thing that raised Jesus from the grave was Holy Spirit himself. God cannot be contained. So if God had to go into hell to take care of business, he can go wherever he wants. Okay? So the Spirit went down and said, the power that I am, which is you, is going to take you out of the dead place. Romans 6, 4, this isn't up there, but it even says that Jesus was raised by the glory of his Father. What is his glory? The representation of him that gives him praise, the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 2 even says that Jesus, that, that Jesus says destroy this temple, referring to himself, and in three days he would do what? Raise it up, rebuild it. Some say that Jesus is actually referring to himself as far as being raised from the dead, but I think what Jesus is referring to as the temple is more than just him. I believe that when he says that I will rebuild this temple in three days, something would rise with him, an authority, not one to come, but one that would immediately raise with him. And he says, now you are the temple that I'm going to dwell in, and that's why I'm going to leave. See, in a moment, we went from dead men on earth found in Adam to a raised temple to house Jesus Christ. And in order to accomplish all that Jesus accomplished, we needed the same thing that Jesus needed. So at Pentecost, he sent us a helper named who? Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that plucked the flesh man of Jesus from the grave. Do you realize the same power is in you? And that is why we should not be surprised. I know I'm off camera. I don't care. That's why we should, we should not be surprised that women who hadn't got out of wheelchairs for 20 years stood up and worshiped for over two hours. Amen. Because it's, the Holy Spirit is the same yesterday and today. And if anyone ever tells you the Holy Spirit don't do that today, You've now got a story. 1 Corinthians 15, 48 through 49. Earthly people are like the earthly man. Heavenly people, guess what, are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. Now, if you study the scripture from the Greek that phrase we will someday be like literally translates let us be like not someday we will be like but let us be like he says you are no longer identified in the dead man Adam you are now identified in the heavenly man Jesus y'all getting this and because you're identified in the heavenly man, Jesus, you are identified in Christ, 
in this world, not of the world, actually refers to you bearing the image of a heavenly man seated in honor. Ephesians tells us, we've been studying Ephesians, that we are seated and unified with Christ at the right hand of the Father. So here's where I want to take you deeper. Your new identity as found in the new man of Jesus is not an earthly man that is saved. Rather, an earthly man that is in the process of walking into your true identity as heavenly man. It's not one day I'll be in heaven. It's I'm becoming a heavenly man that God knew before he put me on the earth. I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. That means he had relationship with you in heavenly places and he spends all of his time with mercy and grace trying to get you to wake up to the true you which is heavenly man and not your earthly man. I've been talking about this a lot but I'm going to say it again to drill it home. You have the example of Paul. He went by another name, Saul. Saul murdered Christians. One day he had a wake-up call. Another day, as Paul, he starts preaching and he's telling Christians, I ain't never done nothing to you. This is the same dude that probably killed half their family. But he wasn't lying. Because the man that killed their family was an earthly man, Saul, who had not met heavenly man, Paul. And God's mercy says, I know Paul, so I want to take you, Saul, and introduce you to the real you. You know what warfare is? The frustration of earthly man meeting heavenly man. That's true warfare. Because if you understand who you are in heavenly man, you understand that there ain't no war to fight. Because every authority is under your feet. So if you lose a fight, it starts with losing identity. If you lose a battle with depression, it's not because other people made you depressed. It's because you lost a battle with understanding who you are. Because heavenly, you don't get depressed. You're full of joy and peace and strength. Let me say it another way. God didn't know earthly man Colleen who was bound to a wheelchair. God knew heavenly Colleen who walked and gave God praise. And we had a small conversation up here that probably no one heard about. And I won't tell you the conversation, but basically it boils down to this. The past 20 years has been a realization of heavenly man. And today she walked into it. Because heavenly man ain't bound by nothing. Heavenly man's free. Right? Thank you for giving me a... Sermon illustration. (laughs) Sometimes we refer to this thing as as something called sanctification. The process of being freed and made holy. Let me put forth to you that the process is not just about getting your sin life in order. It's the awakening to the new you which causes everything in your life that is not heavenly to line up. Spend less time trying to manage your behavior and more time getting to know heavenly you because heavenly you will not desire the behaviors that have kept you in sin. Amen. 
What does God say? I will give you the desires of your heart. That's where the church has got it wrong. Do better. Get better. You ain't going to do better until you know who you are. Sanctification is the process of getting to know the new you, the heavenly man. Jesus rose from the grave, and he appears to Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of Jesus, the two on the road to Emmaus. He rose, he appeared, he showed himself. Then they were told to go notify Peter and the other disciples, and none of them believed him that Jesus was actually walking around, which is kind of funny because the ones that religion puts up as the, the most holy were the ones that didn't believe. You ever think about that? The 12 disciples were the ones who were the most doubtful. It wasn't just doubting Thomas. Thomas just needed a little bit of more tangible proof. They all doubt. They didn't know. Peter was like, bump this, I'm going fishing. He even denied him three times, right? But isn't that a lot of the church? We don't, we don't, we don't really believe the reality of what Jesus did beyond the promise of heaven. Because we love the idea that Jesus saved me and I'm going to heaven, but the idea that heaven is here and I can open my eyes to a heavenly man and I can walk in power and authority, and if Jesus said I can do things that even he did not do on the earth, do we really believe that? Because I, I would put forth to you that if we really believed that, we would see gates of heaven open more often. It's not that God is waiting a day to pour out revival in the church. It's God is waiting for the church to open our eyes to what he has already poured out. But why, why aren't people getting healing in America? Because America's got a problem. It's called America. The land of the free is the most bound up thing ever. And we're depending on politics to fix the country. And the church is being silent and wearing masks. Figurative. We've got to open our eyes to who we are and what we have. Let me read a passage in Mark 16 after Jesus is revealing himself to his disciples and such. It says this in verse 14. Later he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. Church people love to eat. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Now watch this. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. Now hold on right there. Raise your hand if you believe. Okay. So these signs should accompany us. They will cast out demons in my name. They'll speak in new languages. They'll handle snakes with safety. Don't worry, we ain't, we ain't going to start bringing in rattlesnakes. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. Stop right there. It's not saying you've got to do those things. What it's saying is when you walk in heavenly man... Nothing on earth has any authority over you. You have the authority over it. So the miraculous signs that should accompany you as a heavenly man is, I don't get sick. I tell sickness to get the hell out of my body. Amen. Is that okay? Yeah. I, 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 
I don't let things affect me. I let my king direct me. That's it. When Paul got bit by the snake at the, the, the end of Acts, it didn't do anything to him because he, he walked in a heavenly man state. Y'all getting it? Don't be religious and say we got to start doing these things to prove ourselves. No, no, no. Heavenly man just walks in a new dimension of authority. Verse 19. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up in heaven, sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, and the disciples went everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. And I would say that if we're not seeing these miraculous signs follow us in 2022, then we don't really get the concept of our heavenly man and that heaven is here. So I want to dive into what's actually going on. Because, you know, we, we can talk in like all these, oh, yeah, we should, we should, we should. Well, let's dive into what's actually going on so that we can get to the should, right? Heaven operates totally different than earth. But it isn't a far-off concept because we've seen many shadows or foreshadows of what heaven is like. I want to read a passage in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Is this good? Is this Okay. It says, <laughs> I love how the scripture starts off. Here's the main point. <laughs> we have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. So it's talking about who? Jesus. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. Stop right there. The true place of worship is not built by human hands. So anyone in here that has the mindset of let me get in the presence, you're missing what starts off by saying the main point. The main point is that God doesn't dwell in a place built by human hands. If we could just get that. Let's go further. Since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he wouldn't even be a priest. Since there are already a priest who offer the gifts required by the law, they serve in a system of worship, that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. When Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern that I've shown you here on the mountain. We are to make everything according to the pattern that God shows. Now here's where we get it wrong. God gave Mo Moses a pattern. And God gave us a pattern. What religion does is try to create patterns he gave to individuals. That was trying to foreshadow something new that was actually something very original. We, we try to recreate temple worship. By understanding all the parts of the temple. I did a whole series on it. Nothing wrong with understanding it. But we figure if we can just do what David did and Solomon did and Moses did in their temples, then we're on to something. But God actually showed us something much different. 
throughout time, we've been going from glory to glory. And Jesus is actually showing us what we're able to do through the pattern of what we saw on the mountain of his earthly ministry. Moses had a mountain, and we see Jesus on a different kind of mountain. He's the high priest. Y'all following? I'm, I'm, okay. He offered himself to the throne of God as an acceptable offering for the people of his priesthood. That's who? Us. Scripture says it was so good that he says, now you're the priest operating on his behalf. That's how Christ exists in the church. That's like the greatest scandal of all time. Satan thought he won. Instead, he actually just helped multiply Jesus into millions. Good job, Satan. The priest back in the day, what they would do when they would go to give this offering, they would actually go disappear from people, and they would go behind this curtain called the veil. And when they went behind the veil... They would actually do more for the people out of sight than in sight because what the priest was doing was going into the throne room of God to do work on behalf of the people. So Jesus is the priest that went to the throne room and finished the work. He went behind the veil. That's why when he went behind the veil to go to the throne room, something happened to the veil. Luke 23. Verse 44, by this time it was about noon. This is the crucifixion. Darkness fell across the whole land till 3 o'clock. The light from the sun was gone. Suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. And then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Interesting because Luke's version of this says that it is basically, he says, it's finished after the veil was torn. Other versions say the veil was torn after he, said it, after he passed. So it's kind of an interesting different dialogue going here. But just roll with me. He said, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands, and with the words he breathed his last breath. Then when the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what happened, he worshiped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. The same crowd that yelled, Crucify him, crucify him. The veil was torn because Jesus was on his way into the throne room to take care of business on behalf of his people. And I want to paint a picture of what this veil was because it wasn't like, like a thin curtain, you, you know, you, you buy from, you know, home goods. Th this thing was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, four inches thick. It took 300 men to get it up. And in a moment, it was torn from top to bottom. And when that happened, everyone knew what was going on. They killed an innocent man, and the people went home in sorrow. Of course they did. The temple veil was torn, the earthquake, darkness covered the land. God made known what happened in that moment. The thing that separated the throne room where the presence of God was, was torn. In other words, the separation of heaven and earth was torn in a moment, and God made a way for heaven's gate to be accessible. Is this making sense? Now watch this. We talked about Moses a minute ago, right? Second Corinthians chapter 3. 
Verse 13. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. Those Jews and a lot of Gentiles. Watch this. The same veil covers their minds so they can't understand, and this veil can be, can, can be removed only believing in Christ. So the moment you believed in Jesus, a veil was removed that separated you. And it was a false veil because he already took care of the real thing. Okay, is it, this, this is good stuff. Now watch this. 15, yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil. They don't understand. But when, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What is that freedom? You have access to the throne room of God. You don't have to wait to get to a heavenly dimension to access heaven. You have access because the veil that separated you from the throne room is gone. So as the people of God, if we're not experiencing the miraculous, it's because our heavenly man has not gotten to the place of understanding what it's like to have the veil removed. That's called operating in law. It's not understanding quite yet. And where the church gets it wrong is we condemn baby Christians who don't get it. If the veil was really removed from your hearts and minds, you wouldn't condemn them. You would edify them and lift them up and submit your pride to the feet of Jesus. Now watch this. It says, all of us, verse 18, who have had that veil removed can, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his image. As your earthly man is in the process of being renewed and sanctified into your heavenly man. The reason the earthly man is called the dead man is because dead man is found in Adam. Your true identity when you believe is found in Jesus, who is known as the second Adam. Now, y'all Okay. Now, in the new covenant, the veil is gone, and the spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is in us, and we can see and reflect the glory that's in the heavenly man of Jesus. That's, that, is right, that right there explains why you can have a lot of knowledge about the Bible, but you can be powerless. Because knowledge does not make you like heavenly man. Relationship does. Knowing of and, know, knowing of and about God and knowing God are two different things. A lot of people know about God and can quote scripture all day long, but they are the most powerless and pathetic people you'd ever meet because they still operate behind the veil that's not there. We are not to condemn them and make them feel bad. What are we to do? If we know the veil is gone, we've got to pursue what heavenly man living is like. And when we pursue what heavenly man living is like, those who thought 
we were just insane and crazy, one day we'll come see because what we do in the name of Jesus will testify enough for them to come. Not to come to our church, but to come see what God is doing. And I'm, I'm going to show you this tonight. Jesus tore down what the temples contained because he made a way for him to be contained, not in one physical temple, but millions. And to understand this reality of heaven, heaven operating in an earthly manner, we're going to go take a look at the first mention of a temple in Scripture. Now, if you read theologians' take on this, they're going to tell you that the first temple may have been Moses or David or Solomon. I'm going to take you back even further to the first mention of a temple. It's in Genesis. And it was in a dream. Genesis 28, verse 11. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. See, Led Zeppelin was not <laughs> original. He, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth to heaven. Did I say Zeppelin? Zeppelin, y'all know what I mean. If you know what I mean, you need to get saved. All right, verse 13. He saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west, the east, the north, and the south. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Then, Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid. He said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway of heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. He poured oil over it, and then he named the place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. When he woke up, watching angels ascend and descend, he declared, surely the Lord is in this place. And he said, I wasn't even aware of it. And he called it a gateway to heaven, the house of God. The first temple was built not by a building, but by a name. He said, this is where God dwells. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And then he put up a memorial stone and he renamed the place. It used to be called Luz. Now it's called Bethel, house of God. You know what Luz is? It literally means separation. He renamed the place of separation the place of unity with God. And look how far we've gone from this simplistic idea 
of the place of God to religion has defined it as the place of separation. You know what love is? One day I'll get to heaven. Is it true? Yeah, but I'm not separated until. I'm going to heaven one day, but until then, I am, I, this place is the house of God. You see, so far, Jesus, Jesus was, was given so that the veil was torn to get us back to this reality of Jacob's prophetic experience. That we don't have to get to a building to understand that the, this is the house of God. We rename the places that we walk in the house of God when we realize, remember, he said, I didn't realize God was in this place. What was going on? He was operating behind a what? A veil. If we would start to walk in our heavenly man, we would start to walk in a place where a veil does not cover our eyes, cover our minds, cover our understanding, and we say, we are not in a place of separation. We are in the house of God, and this is a gateway to heaven. What defines a gateway to heaven? Anyone that understands there's no more separation. And I would argue that the church has settled for separation. But we've got to paint a picture of what this looks like if we're going to get it back. So what is this house of God? We've seen all kinds of temples. Moses built a temple, David, Solomon. But this was the first mention. The dream had a depiction of this ladder from earth to heaven. Angels going up, angels going down. And God was speaking straight to Jacob. Do you realize that Jacob had a vision of the throne room? That he couldn't get to. And Jesus, what he did for us was break the thing. We, we wouldn't have to just have that in dream state. We could have it now. Now, some of you may be thinking, you, you, you little, you're getting a little crazy on us, but I'm actually going to show you this in New Testament in a second, so just you wait. <laughs> if we could enter into that reality... We would understand that heaven is here. How do we do that? Jesus. I want to read John chapter 1, verse 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. This is before the crucifixion, by the way. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, we found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name's Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? But, but some of you think that about yourself. Can anything good come from this family? Right? Can anything good come from my lifestyle? Yes, because you understand heavenly man never lived in that lifestyle. You just hadn't met him yet. But God removed a veil for you to get a glimpse Okay. Well, come and see for yourself, Philip replied, verse 47. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me, Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. In other words, he, Jesus saw him even though Jesus wasn't at the fig tree. So then Nathaniel exclaimed, 
Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? Now, don't pause right here. You will see greater things than this. Now, what you're about to see in this next scripture is just ridiculous. <laughs> Jesus describes what we're going to see. Verse 51, I'll tell you the truth. You're going to see heaven open and angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man. The one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Confirming the dream. The promise, Jesus says, the promise that my father made Jacob is now a reality because I'm tearing the thing that separates it. So he says, you're going to see angels going up and down. And I'm that stairway. Now remember, he calls us his body. So if he's the ladder, now watch this in Acts 2. They've seen Jesus raised from the dead. They believe at this point. And they're seeking God. Verse 1 through 3. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire, I want to point that out, looked like tongues of fire. That's the only way they could describe it. Appeared and settled on each of them. This is perhaps the most overlooked passage in Acts 2. It says, all of a sudden, two things came in the room. Mighty wind, and what was above their head? Fire. There's a passage in Hebrews chapter 1 that describes angels. I want to read verse 7. Regarding the angels, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. Do you realize that what we see in Acts 2 was the fulfillment of Jacob's dream? Wind and fire, up and down. That's God calling right now. God, ooh, no, okay. Yeah, y'all don't know what that is. Some of y'all do. What they say in Acts 2 is the start of what Jesus spoke to Nathaniel, which was originally seen by Jacob. He says, you are going to experience angels descending and ascending from heaven to earth because this is now the dwelling place of God because I've torn the veil and made this place worthy of his residence. Do you remember, can I, can I talk about more of the angels, the fire and the wind? When Elijah was taken up, chariots of fire and taken up in a whirlwind. So 
So, <laughs> ah, so when <laughs> that's why I'm getting by to preach anywhere. So when they were when they were in the upper room in Acts, they were experiencing a they were experiencing a heaven is here moment. And it wasn't meant to be a great story just to be read. It was supposed to be something that we should be experiencing. Why haven't we experienced it? It's because we have not understood that that veil has taken away. And the shift this resurrection weekend for Relentless Church is here's the truth. The veil is gone. We've got to start getting through the curtain. Verse 4, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking in other languages. The Holy Spirit gave them this ability. By the way, this was not the, the, the language of unspoken tongues in parts of the Bible. This was 15 dialects. They were able to speak in 15 languages. Which Now, here's the thing. that was It didn't surprise anyone because that city had a bunch of people from a lot of different dialects. It's important to understand this. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. From what nation? Every. So they were used to a lot of languages. When they heard the loud noise, everyone in the town came running and they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? These people are all from Galilee. They were amazed hearing them speaking in the language. But the languages being spoken was not what got them to run to them. They heard a loud sound. You know what sound they heard? The wind. <laughs> what the heck? And they went to where they heard it. And when they went to where they heard it, they were even more amazed at how are these Galileans speaking in 15 different dialects. Why do I point that out? When we start to understand the veil was removed and start seeking heavenly man and open up gateway of heaven, the manifestation of the sounds of angels ascending and descending will draw people to what's going on. And it doesn't just have to be a literal, I hear the wind. It could be a, someone got up and walked. It could be a, someone was cured from cancer. It could be a, someone got out, out of drugs and didn't have to go through a detox program. It, it, it could be someone that the, the family thought they would never be saved in a moment they woke up to Christ and their whole family came to know Christ because of that one. This, this, the gateway of heaven is look at what's going to happen because we're removing the veil to allow God to do whatever he wants to do. Look at verse 12. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, well, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people ain't drunk, as some of you are assuming. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. It ain't 5 o'clock yet. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's much too early for that. 
No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, let me just pause right there. Do you realize that they named the last days back in Acts 2? The last days are coming, y'all. They've been here for quite a while. So, chill. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even all my servants, men and women alike. That's scripture, by the way. And they will prophesy, I will cause wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood, fire, clouds of smoke, the sun will become dark, the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter tells him, you're in the last days and the Lord's going to pour out himself because in the last days we are to be the testament of heaven on earth. Now watch this, I'm going to go through this quick. Verse 22, people of Israel, listen. God, by the way, who's Israel? We are. are. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing what? Powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross, killed him, but God released him from the horrors of death, raised him back to life. Death could not keep in his grip. Let's go to verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be Lord and Messiah. And Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Because they're like, they had this moment. They were like, what, what do we do with this? This is real. We just heard a sound from heaven. People are speaking languages. They're talking about how Jesus prophesied this would happen. What do we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. That scripture alone will kill any idea of cessationism. It literally says the gift of the Spirit and all these things are generational. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Don't complain about my hour strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, 3,000 in all. 3,000 added in a day because people came because they heard something descending from heaven to earth. They were in the courts of heaven seeing things that the veil would not let us see before. Why did Jesus leave? To give us what he had and for us to experience a heaven is here reality. It could only be experienced when the priests went to the throne room in heaven and then sent the Spirit so that we could now have him because he made us worthy to be the temple. He made us worthy to see through the veil. He made us worthy to see heaven on earth. And then look what happened in verse 42. I hope y'all ain't bored. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting to the end. And after all that, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and the prayer. A deep, look, this is, this is the verse I want to point out. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many signs and wonders. 
Why did they perform signs and wonders? The gate was open to testify of heaven's reality. You remember what John 151 said? Throw it up there. He said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open. And the angels of God going up and down the Son of Man, the one who is a stairway between heaven and earth. And I say to you again, if we are the body of Christ and Christ is in us, remove the veil and understand we are the ladders for heaven's gates to open so that people will see who he is, so that they'll hear and understand. But we get so distracted with things. We get so distracted that we don't do the most important thing, being baptized in Jesus so that our eyes are open. I'm not talking about the literal baptism of water. I'm talking about the baptism of your conscience to say what Jesus did for me was remove every separation from heaven. So get out of this thinking of one day I'll see it and start asking God, what do you want me to do so it can descend through this vessel that you made worthy? Not so that people can look at me and say, ooh, ah, but so I can be a living testimony of Jesus. We're called to be a testimony. What does Revelation say about testimony? Anybody know? Defeated by the, the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Testimony is not just your salvation story. It's your testimony of heaven coming down. And you walking into heavenly man. And one last scripture, if your eyes are not heavenly woke enough. Hebrews 1.14. Remember it describes angels. It says angels are only servants. They're spirits sent, to care for, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. When you enter into the reality of your place as a heavenly son or daughter, why worry about anything when God created angelic beings to take care of everything for you? They're sent to serve you. Well, I, I worry a lot. You've got things going for battle for you with battles that you can't see. Because God does not want you to focus on your yesterday or your worry. God doesn't want you to focus on what you've messed up on. He wants you to focus on one thing. I removed the veil so I could come down on you like a ladder. But it's only going to happen if you start understanding you are a heavenly man. Well, I'll get there one day. No, 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 you're there. You just got to start walking. You got to receive that truth. You know, we could talk about what happened with this all day, but, you know, the scripture actually also says don't dwell on that. Because what will happen is we'll talk about this for so long that we'll become blind to the next one. So we have a lot to celebrate tonight and what happened with this. But there's also a need for us to get up and every single one of us to the reality of our heavenly man. So I say with this resurrection weekend, this would be a shift in our lives to say, Jesus, I've been living in a place called Luz, a place of separation. And starting on this day, April 16th, 2022, I live in a place called the house of God. 
I declare it over my home. I, de- I declare that, uh, that over my kids. I declare it over my finances. I de- every single thing, God dwells here. And now here's the thing with declarations. If you declare it, you got to start doing things to line up with that declaration. It's not God do it. It's I'm renaming the place, and I'm going to rebuild the place to look like the name. Don't rename your finances, God, if you can't rebuild it with a tithe. Don't rename your relationships love if you can't rebuild it by serving the one you don't currently love. Because heavenly man operates a lot different than offended man. Heavenly man operates a lot different than pissed off man. Heavenly man operates a lot different than what you have come to know as your natural. You are no longer natural. You are super natural. You are a version of you that this world has never seen. So let's let the world see it. Amen? Let's stand. Can we give God praise tonight? Come on, give him praise. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for what you have done in this house tonight. And when I say house, I don't mean these walls. I mean the many temple in this room. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're continuing to do. Lord, today is a shift. We believe that the gateway of heaven has opened, and we are not going to allow it to close up. You've removed the veil. Jesus, you have paid the price so that you can make heaven as here reality. Father, thank you for your love for us, your grace, your mercy. Jesus, thank you for your obedience and your love. And Holy Spirit, we receive that you are with us to do whatever the Father wants. We are your servants, God. Let us be resurrected with Jesus on this day. Just really quick as we stay in this posture of prayer. If there is anyone in this room who has never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And tonight, there's been an awakening in you, and you say, I want him. Can you just slip your hand up really quick? I'm not going to make you come up here. Just slip your hand up really quick, if that's you. If you've never accepted Jesus, put your hand up. Okay. I declare right now over everyone in here as followers of Christ that we would walk in a new way going out of this room. Our eyes are open. God, do what you want to do. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Amen. Amen.